0: And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your rider die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
1: After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter.
2: Welcome in to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. We are here to break down the 2023 postseason. The NLCS and ALCS are underway. The Phillies lead the D-backs two games to none in the NLCS. The Rangers lead the Astros two games to one in the ALCS. We've had a lot of exciting games early, maybe not on the scoreboard, but there's been some big moments that have certainly generated a lot of excitement. We're going to look back at everything that has happened and look ahead at what's to come as uh, both the Phillies and Rangers have a chance to punch their tickets to the World Series as soon as this weekend. To do that, I am joined by my friend and colleague, Jeff Potts. Jeff, thanks for joining me today.
3: Hey, uh, Kyle. It's uh, happy to be here and talking some postseason baseball.
2: Absolutely. So, Jeff, as we move into... This long weekend. Technically, we're recording on a Thursday, but what we'll count it as all part of the weekend to come. We have the Phillies and the D-backs kicking off game three today at 5.07 Eastern and 2.07 Pacific. The Phillies came out and just took it to the D-backs, games one and two. Uh, Game one, Kyle Schwarber homered on the very first pitch of the game. Uh, Bryce Harper added another on the fifth pitch of the game. The Phillies were off and running. Uh, Trey Turner homered in the first inning of game two. Uh, We saw those crowds at Citizens Bank Park just go absolutely bananas, and and the Phillies really jumping out early as they did, put the D-backs in a hole. It's difficult to win in Citizens Bank Park no matter what. Uh, But when you get off to starts like that, it makes it that much more difficult. Now the series shifts to chase field in Arizona, which uh, safe to say is not quite the same home field advantage at the same time, just simply getting out of citizens bank park should make things a little bit easier on the D backs. What are you looking for here as the series shifts to Arizona?
3: Yeah, I think it's just a matter of um, the diamondbacks finally sort of getting some momentum here. Um, it feels as if uh, over the first couple of games, you know, we've just seen Philadelphia come out. And I think this has kind of been a, a constant throughout their playoff run so far in 2023. They're just out there, you know, throwing, trying to throw knockout blows pretty early. And, you know, each time they're falling into deeper and deeper holes. Uh, and, you know, I think part of it is just Brendan Fat, and then the bullpen, which was really good. The bullpen in particular um, last round in divisional series is you know if they can step up and sort of keep the game close because i do think you know that's the thing with this diamondbacks team if they're within shouting distance they're a team that can score runs very quickly and not just with the home run they have enough uh speed and base running etc that a couple balls to the gap uh you know can score a run pretty quickly with this team Uh, unlike maybe some other teams in the playoffs that have more of a you know base cloggers etc uh, but the starting pitching has to show up, you know, fat has to, if he's going to go three or four innings and they're going to sort of lean on the bullpen a little bit more in a game like this, um, you know, he has to be pretty clean through three or four innings. And when I say pretty clean, I mean, you know, a run or two, I think is probably acceptable. We can't have, you know, another situation where it's five or six runs over the first two or three innings, Uh without, you know, the Diamondbacks countering to that. And I think when we look on the other side of the, uh, the, the ball, too, in terms of, you know, who the Phillies have, are rolling out there, Ranger Suarez has, you know, maybe isn't the most dominating pitcher in baseball, um, but he is a guy that's proven time and time again in the playoffs. He can come out, give you quality, you know, quality five, six innings, uh, what have you, and set up their bullpen for success. And we know that they have a lot of firepower, you know, on the back end of that bullpen. Um, It's just a matter of maybe the the Diamondbacks getting out to an early lead here and maybe putting some pressure uh, on, on the Phillies finally and kind of
2: flipping the momentum. Have they even had a lead in this series? I don't believe they have. No, they have not. Again, the Phillies jumped out to first inning leads with the long ball in both games. And I will say, give the Diamondbacks a little bit of credit. Game one, I thought what was interesting was because we saw the Diamondbacks come back from deficits against the Brewers in both games of that series there. And the Phillies jumped out to a 5 nothing lead through five innings. Again, it was just off to the races. And I thought the D-backs did a good job of, of hanging in and chipping away. They were able to halt the momentum a little bit there in the middle innings. They chipped away, turned it into a 5-3 game, and they brought the tying run to the plate in the 7th, 8th, and ninth innings. So they did a good job of staying competitive, but, but that's where the Phillies bullpen, which for so many years was just a dumpster fire, for lack of a better term, has been absolutely locked down this postseason. You know, we saw Sir Anthony Dominguez, Jose Alvarado, and and Craig Kimbrell come in and shut the door. And then Game 2, again, the D-backs were able to stop a little bit of the bleeding early. Again, it was 2-0 going into the 6th. But this Phillies offense right now, they they just feel inevitable. You know that they are going to pour it on in some form or fashion more often than not. And and I think that's been what's so much fun to watch about this Phillies team is – And we've talked about this extensively. One to nine, you have to have everyone able to contribute. Johan Rojas hasn't done a whole lot, but okay, one to eight. I mean, this Phillies lineup is as good, as as deep, as as dangerous as any team in the postseason. We've seen everyone contribute in some way or another. And I think right now when you talk about, yes, these are tremendously talented players, but they're tremendously talented players locked in and playing their best. It's very, very difficult to keep up with this offense.
3: Yeah. No, I, yeah, I agree with that. Um, and, you know, I think the other thing here, too, is this is an opportunity for Arizona, obviously, to come home and play back at home. Uh, but Philly won't have sort of that driving momentum of the fan base and uh, the quiet roar that is uh, constant <laughs> at Citizens Bank Park. So, um, you know, I think there's some advantage there, too, that they got to take they got to take the bulls by the horns, uh, so to speak, in the next two games here. And, you know, try to flip the series back and gain some momentum. And then, you know, you're playing with house money and you see how things go uh, when there's some pressure against the Phillies. But I think that's one of the things, too, that we've seen is um, throughout this this postseason. I know Matt Eddie in the back end had sort of put this stat out there. Um, But there is an opportunity here if uh, things don't get more competitive in these CS series um, that we could see one of the shortest, meaning the least amount of probable games actually played in the playoffs. Um, So it would be nice just to see each of these teams. It was kind of nice last night to see Houston sort of finally take it to the Rangers and have them lose a game. I think we need some of that, some of that intrigue for, uh, you know, these playoffs to really kick off because um, though we've had some close and intriguing games, we haven't necessarily had those tight series altering sort of moments yet.
2: This is very, very true. Before we move on to the ALCS, one thing I think that does deserve some attention here for the Phillies so much is being talked about with their offense and deservedly so. Again, you look at Bryce Harper and and what he's done for the second consecutive postseason. You look at Kyle Schwarber now having nine home runs in his last 19 postseason games, including some absolute moonshots. Nick Castellanos becoming the first player with back-to-back two homer games. I mean, this offense is incredible, but this pitching staff has been absolutely dominant this postseason. The Phillies have a 1.39 ERA in eight games this postseason. I mean, their total lines in St. 71 innings, 44 hits, 11 run, earned runs allowed, 73 strikeouts, only 15 walks. We've seen it in games one and two here in this NLCS. Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola were both great. You know, Zach Wheeler going out, six innings, three hits, two runs. Um, doing what he does best, and and the Phillies' quote-unquote A bullpen of Dominguez, Alvarado, and Kimbrough coming in and shut the door. Uh, But Aaron Nola then coming back out with six scoreless innings, only three hits allowed in game two, and really some of their less heralded relief arms coming in and, and being equally as dominant as well. Jeff Hoffman, Matt Strom, and Orion Kirkering. And I think that's something else here that is contributing to the Phillies' dominance that we need to talk more about. They went in and shut down a historically great Braves offense. And yes, five days off, it's going to mess with hitters timing. You still have to make pitches and get those guys out. The Phillies did it. Again, the Marlins are certainly not the world's best offense. But look, they're in the postseason. You still have to pitch well. And we saw the D-backs jump on really, really good pitchers for the Brewers. We saw them jump on some very talented pitchers for the Dodgers, although we know they certainly weren't their best. I mean, this D-backs offense was rolling coming into the series through the first two games the Phillies have just shut them down allowing three runs combined in two games mm.
3: yeah uh you know I think that's the thing is um maybe because of health we didn't necessarily see throughout the season just how loaded this this Phillies team is um and I think that is one of the things that kind of sticks with you You know you mentioned Rojas being um you know the, the weak link in terms of the lineup but he gives them a totally different dimension in terms of, you know, how they can structure and who they can put in the outfield because of how much ground he covers and how good he is out there. Um, so yeah, this is, this is a team that I think every time they get to the playoffs, uh, everybody in the baseball world is kind of maybe overlooked them throughout the season and then gets a second look and it gets a greater appreciation for just how well uh, this team was put together. I think just structurally, this is a, this is a strong team, well-balanced, et cetera.
2: Yeah. So that actually kind of leads me into, you know, a discussion a lot of people are having is, you know, the Phillies being quote unquote built for the playoffs. And I, I absolutely do agree. There are some teams that are built better to succeed in the playoffs because they're more well-rounded. If you're one dimensional, we, we've talked about this. Anyone who's listened to the podcast has heard this spiel before. You have to be able to hit the home run. You have to be able to string together five consecutive hits. You have to be able to take a walk. You have to be able to hurt the opponent one through nine or minimum one through eight. You have to have good rotation arms. You have to have a good bullpen. You can't have one or the other. You have to be a complete team. I think there is something to the idea that the Phillies are, are built for the postseason, not just talent-wise, but we see their personalities. And we've talked about this. This team plays with fire. They play with an edge. You know, We've seen teams in the past sometimes roll in and just lack energy. The Dodgers in 2022 against the Padres come to mind. Dave Roberts openly talked about it. Being able to, to match that energy is very, very difficult. How much credence do you give to the notion that the Phillies are quote-unquote built for the postseason? Because I, I personally do give it some credence, both in the way they're constructed, but also just the personalities they have.
3: Yeah, I think the personalities are a big part of it. Um, but I think when you look at this team, you know, 1 through 26, it is fairly veteran team. Uh, and that is in, in all different phases. Uh, it's a It's a veteran rotation. Um, you know, they have some, some guys they've went out and gotten like a Zach Wheeler up front, uh, Nola, some of the developed, but they have frontline starters there. You know, they have a variety of options in this bullpen. And I think that's one thing that they made a point of doing over the last year. Um, they went out and they, they, you know, acquired, uh, Alvarado, they went out and they acquired Kimbrel. Um, you know, they drafted, uh, Kirk Rain. Um, so they've added a lot of firepower to this bullpen, and they've had some good teams over the years that I think were really flawed at the back end of that bullpen and it cost them a lot of wins. I can't—I don't have the numbers in front of me. I want to say if we go back to like 2021, that the bullpen was like a major reason for you know them not uh, succeeding in the way that they did. It might even been as far back as 2019. Um, I think you also look at the lineup. Um, not only do they have. Uh, impact bats guys like Harper, guys like Castellanos, guys like Schwarber, of course, that can hit home runs, get on base, do you know, do those sort of things, particularly you know the on base stuff with Schwarber and, and Harper, two of the best in the game. They have role players that are younger players that they might have even acquired, like a Marsh, uh, a guy that they developed, like Stott, that all fit into a variety of roles in that lineup. Um, they're all pretty solid all around players, and they're good defensively. Um, so, you know, I think that's a big portion of it. Um, and then I think we look at this season and they spent a large chunk of the year without Bryce Harper. Uh, that was a bigger, that was magnified because of the, you know, the injury to Reese Hoskins right before the season. Um, and ultimately that second half lineup, when Harper, you know, slides into first base allows Schwarber to be a DH, which is what Schwarber really is. And you know the rest of the lineup sort of you know came into into place like that. Whether it was like Rojas coming up and providing some defense, etc. Um, so I think I think a lot of it is the veteran core that they've they've gone out and they've gotten players that you know have been through battles, um, you know that have had their ten thousand hours in the major leagues or whatever you want to say in terms of seeing the pitches and 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 having the experiences of the moments. Um, so you know that sort of stuff isn't too big for them and they have horses. I mean, Zach Wheeler is a legitimate ace and Noel is a good pitcher and Ranger Suarez is a good pitcher. You can go right down the line. You know, I just think it's, it's just a well-balanced team. Um, and when you start to take a look, a look at maybe the Dodgers or the Braves who had more regular season success, I think you could say one through 26, that you can really argue that the Phillies are a better team. You know, the, 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 the Dodgers may have the two better players, the, the the Braves may have, Acuna may have the better player, but when you look at the rotation, you look at the bullpen, uh, you look at the positional depth and how everything fits together, I think the Phillies just are a team that's equipped to beat good teams. That's really what the playoffs are about. I know there's been a lot of talk about chance and circumstance and all that sort of stuff. They're a team that's built to beat other good teams.
2: Correct. And the raise or not, which is something I, I raise every single year. If there's a reason they can't get out of the division series, except in a COVID year, just as an example, before we wrap up, there is one final key here I want to discuss for the Phillies and that's Aaron Nola. He's so critical to this team's success. You have Zach Wheeler, who you feel great about the front of the rotation, you know, the back is solid when you have Ranger Suarez going at the number three spot, but you know, Aaron Nola is, is such a critical piece of this rotation and You know, there was a little bit of concern. He did not pitch well in the postseason. uh, I should say the end of the postseason at all last year. He pitched well his first two games, wild card series, the division series. But in the NLCS, the World Series, he had an ERA up near 10, 9.69 ERA, did not complete five innings in any of those three games and came back out this year and and looked like a guy who was tired after last year's postseason run. Uh, He had an ERA up near four and a half. That's his third worst ERA of his career. Had the lowest strikeout rate of his career dating back to his rookie season. His walk rate went up a little bit. I mean, this was Aaron Nola was not terrible this year, but he wasn't Aaron Nola. It was really his his worst season in a lot of ways. I don't know if you'd say in his career, but, but probably since back to 2016. And there was some concern when he looked at he did not pitch well at the end of the postseason last year. And this year, he was not great, and he didn't finish strong either. Um, you know, this was a, a question mark, which version of Aaron Noller the Phillies going to get. He has come out and been absolutely dominant in the postseason. He's allowed two earned runs in 18 and two-thirds innings. He's 3-0, and holding opponents to a 182 batting average. It's a .96 ERA. I mean, he has been lights out. And I think that's one of the things here that has helped really solidify the Phillies' chances when you're getting true ace Aaron Nola, I mean, yeah. you have a one, two punch punch that pretty much any other team is going to struggle to match, but the Phillies weren't getting true ace Aaron Nola throughout the NLCS and world series last year and throughout the regular season this year. So the fact he's come out and pitched like he has, I think that's been a huge and underrated part of the Philly success and why their outlook looks so bright right now.
3: Yeah. And I think, um, you know, something that we may be overrate and I would have to go back and, and, look at the numbers specifically uh, and look at examples. But I can think of so many examples in my mind over the years where there's veteran pitchers that maybe have a down year and then have a lot of success in the playoffs, you know? Um, And I think it's having those guys that can go five or six innings. It keeps you that. I I always look at how the bullpens are managed. Um, And I think that when, when teams are really bullpenning games, it's so short sighted. Um, because keeping those guys fresh, so when those key moments late in series, as you get deeper into the playoffs or as you get into a World Series and everything is on the line, you know, totally, um, you can utilize those guys in different ways. You can ride them a little bit more. They're willing for you to to do that too, right? I think that's probably a key component of it. Um, versus a lot of these teams that are trying to finesse it early in the playoffs. And I think yeah. it's it's something that you can do, during the regular season, when you want to give some starters a rest, I understand that, that you know, running a bullpen game or two throughout the season, it makes sense. Um, it's a long season, but I think it's such a key component of why the Phillies have had successes. They do have more of a trad- traditional starter back end of the bullpen setup. Um, and those guys that can get key outs if the starter only goes forward two-thirds or five innings. And if they're not riding those guys, you know, every other game, they're fresh and they're, you know – Thompson obviously has uh, his options available to him. And right? I think that's such a key part of this is the strategy and how teams are managed and how they're built to be managed a certain way in the playoffs. Right.
2: Oh yeah. Look, a bullpen game or using an opener is a worst case scenario. You have no other options choosing to throw a bullpen game over, you know, even just a, a cromulent fifth starter who's got an ERA in the mid fours and give you five innings mm-hmm. is a terrible decision to make every single time. So yes, you you need to utilize real starters in the postseason. And that's certainly an edge the Phillies have. And and I actually want to talk a little bit about bullpen usage more. And when we discuss the Rangers and Astros series, because that's been a really key part of that, how Bruce Bochy managed his bullpen and his starting pitchers in the first two games. Um, Before we do that, Jeff, real quick Phillies are up 2-0 going into game three today. Do you see any scenario the D-backs come back here and do you think the Phillies wrap this up as soon as Friday?
3: Um, you know, I'm not going to bank on them uh wrapping this series up uh on Friday. You know, I I do think I do think there's a loss that's going to be built in here whether it's t- today or, you know, the the next game. Um, you know, I I, I I can't totally dismiss the D-backs. I think this probably goes 5. Um, maybe 6 if things go really well, but I'm not expecting a sweep. Um, I think, you know, we'll see how things how things play out in a game where the Phillies don't jump out to an early lead. If that happens in one of these two games or the Diamondbacks jump out to an early lead, um, not that they have a huge home field advantage, but it's just an advantage not being in Philadelphia and having to deal with Red October or whatever you want to call it. So uh, I don't want to dismiss them yet, you know. Uh, I was too quick to dismiss the Phillies in the first round. So the Braves were going to sweep them. So I'm calling for no more sweeps in the playoffs. I don't want sweeps either. That's the uh,
2: more baseball, Kyle. <laughs> yeah, I think we can agree. We all want more baseball and more high pressure situations. I, I do yeah. think the D-backs will get one game here in Arizona, but I don't think this series is going back to Philadelphia. Uh, I do think it'll be, um, you know, Phillies win this series four games to one and move on to the World Series. All right, Jeff, so we're going to move ahead into the ALCS. Uh, We're going to take a quick break and then break down the rest of the Rangers Astro series.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't a search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. That's why I use Indeed for our hiring at Baseball America. It allows me to do everything on one website. I get quality candidates. I can schedule them. I can interview them. I can screen them. I can send messages to them, all within Indeed. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois.
4: Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop.
2: Welcome back to the Baseball America ALCS-NLCS Review and Preview Podcast. Uh, I'm Kyle Glazer alongside Jeff Ponce. All right, Jeff, we broke down the NLCS between the D-backs and the Phillies, everything that's happening, what we're looking forward to as we move into games three and four. Over on the American League side, the Lone Star Rivalry Series between the Astros and Rangers. Uh, the Rangers jumped out to a 2 games to none league winning both games in Houston. Uh, The Astros struck back and and jumped on Max Scherzer to win game three last night to make it a 2-1 series. Before we look at game three, I want to go back to games one and two because one of the things that jumped out to me is Bruce Bochy once again demonstrating a masterclass in how to handle your starting pitching and your bullpen. And, and, you know, people talk about the postseason being luck and a crapshoot, yada, yada, yada. We've been over that. It's not. I think anyone who says that is using it as an excuse and a crutch. Sometimes you just get beat and there are elements of roster construction and, and in-game management that play better in the postseason. And Bruce Bochy is, is a master of managing his bullpen and knowing his starting pitchers. And I want to go back to game one where the Rangers jump out early to nothing. Jordan Montgomery is cruising again. He's not getting swings and misses up the wazoo, but he's not allowing hits. He's getting ground balls. He's working quickly and efficiently. And he goes back out for the fifth inning with a 2 nothing lead and gets to face the top of the Astros order for a third time. And I just had the thought, how many managers – would have pressed the panic button and just pulled the plug and said, oh, we can't let him face Jose Altuve, Alex Bregman, and Jordan Alvarez a third time. And we've seen teams do it. I go back to what the Dodgers did with Rich Hill in game two of the 2017 World Series where Rich Hill was pitching great and they unnecessarily panicked and pulled the plug and it moved their bullpen up. And what ended up happening is Kenley Jansen had to pitch two innings on the second of back-to-back days. It was just a horrendous mistake that that really screwed them. And, And I thought that Bruce Bochy showed, no, this is what you do. If your guy is rolling, let him pitch. And he went out there and, and he pitched really well, retired the side in order because that's what he'd been doing all game. Sent him back out for the sixth, again, to face five, four, five, six in the order. And again, did the job. Rolled him back out for the start of the seventh. I mean, he, he let a really good veteran pitcher pitch until it was time to pull him. He didn't panic just because, oh... It's the third time through the order and you know arbitrarily decided the name to pull him. And then again, in game two, what really stood out to me is when the Rangers were up 5-2, Nate Uvalde's on the mound. And again, I, I just thought in that moment in the fourth, in the fifth inning, excuse me, when the Astros loaded the bases, it's a 5-2 game. You have Yadier Diaz coming up. And then the top of the order, how many managers, again, would have pushed the panic button and gone out and yanked their starter? And Bochy stuck with Nate Uvalde because he knew that of all the pitchers he had available to him, Nate Uvalde is still his best option on the mound. What did Uvalde do? Struck out Yander Diaz, struck out Jose Altuve, got Alex Bregman to ground out, escaped unscathed. I think those first two games really showed that at the end of the day, you have to trust your guys. And we know that. And yet so many times we see managers or front offices want to micromanage everything and be kind of control freaks about it. We just saw this postseason with John Snyder and what they did with Jose Barrios. Um, I, I really thought the first two games were a masterclass and this is how you manage your team. And when you do it this way, your pitchers believe in you. Your bullpen believes in you. And he knew the bullpen he had couldn't cover four or five innings. He needed length from his starters. He trusted them to get the job done. And they did. That's how you manage in the postseason. And I really hope everyone who is wanting to get involved in baseball strategy watched that and understood that and saw the benefits of that.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. And I think it goes back to what I was saying before. It's uh, the benefit of game one and two. They get six innings out of their starter. and. I think it was a great point that you made a lot of managers wouldn't have would have been fine getting five out of each of those guys. They get that out of there and then they're able to then go in and sort of go with their seventh, eighth, ninth inning guy, Spores, Chapman, the clerk it's tried and true. That's what the formula is. And, you know, everybody's going into roles that quite frankly they're comfortable in and they've done before in the postseason. season, maybe not Spores, but You know, I think that that's it's such a huge component, you know, Uh, and I'm somebody who loves pitching. And I certainly with with pitching prospects, like I can look at a guy who maybe goes four or five early on in his professional career. Once that guy gets up to the major leagues, he's got to go six innings. And I would I would say that's one of the biggest lessons I've learned over the last couple of years is liking a lot of these smaller, um, high efficiency, low release height, six foot sort of right handers. They're just not built to handle a bunch of innings and go deep into the season and be able to pitch in the postseason. You don't see those guys this time of year, really. And there's a reason behind it. You know, big leaguers are big human beings. and I think sometimes when we're evaluating, we're ranking prospects, we often overlook that, you know.
2: Yeah, and again, I, I think it goes back to, you know, Jordan Montgomery and Nate Uvaldi. These are veteran pitchers who have pitched in the postseason and and have been great all year. You have to trust them. And also just knowing who's in your bullpen and what they're capable of. Again, I'm going to use the 2020 example with Kevin Cash pulling Blake Snell and not trusting him. Nick Anderson was gassed by that point in the postseason because he'd been used so much in the DS and CS. And again, it's just, oh, I'm going to automatically pull my pitcher rather than let him face a guy another time. It's like, no, you have to know who is in your bullpen too. And that's a big part of it. And, and I think Bruce Bochy understanding that, you know, that Spores Chapman Leclerc, not that Chapman's been great, but that's the three guys he has. He can kind of trust and, and letting his starters do what needed to be done to get them to that point. Again, you, you just have to trust your guys. You have to know your guys. And, and Bruce Bochy did that better than I think any manager among his peers when he was with the Giants it's a big reason why a lot of times the Giants were unexceptional in the regular season but they won three World Series in five years his ability to know his pitchers know when to pull them have a feel for how to use his bullpen is really unparalleled and we saw that on display in games one and two and the Rangers offense we've talked about it the highest scoring offense in the American League one to nine these guys can bang and They're really, really capable of of jumping on anyone at any time. We saw that against Justin Verlander and Framber Valdez, two really good pitchers. Just moving into game three, the series shifted to Texas. And look, saying something's a must-win game is a cliche unless it's literally a game to avoid elimination. But, you know, if you go down 3-0, you're you're in pretty bad shape. The Astros came out, uh, jumped on Max Scherzer, who hadn't pitched in about five weeks. He was not sharp. Uh, Just what were your takeaways from this game, and what did you see change maybe for the Astros?
3: Yeah, I think, you know, they finally ran into a pitcher who uh, wasn't his best self, frankly, and they took advantage of it. Um, They're also a team, and I know that we heard about this in the broadcast, ad nauseum, uh, that plays well on the road. I think we probably heard, if you played a drinking game last (laughs) night and they told you to drink every time they brought that stat up, uh, you would have been drunk by the fourth inning. (laughs) Um, But I do think it was a good point. I mean, sometimes teams funny enough, do perform well on, on the road in certain circumstances. You know, they had a big series at the end of the year there, um, you know, where they took down some games and it's still Texas. It's not to say that there's not going to be a, 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 a hearty amount of Astros fans probably still in the building. I've had a friend who has season tickets as a Rangers and more or less said that. So, um, you know, it's a little bit more of a split crowd too than I think we're probably used to in some other venues. Um, but you know, Jordan Alvarez had a Jordan Alvarez game. Uh, you know, I thought that Michael Brantley had some great at bats early on in the game, um, and you know, the pitching uh, was was fine, right? I mean, that's sort of uh, that's sort of what the what the issue's been over the first couple of games for the Astros as well, as they just haven't gotten the same sort of performances that you know we're typically used to seeing out of the Astros uh, rotation. Um, And Javier was pretty good as Javier is, it seems during the playoffs this time of year. So he was kind of cruising. Um, We'll see if they can replicate that formula. I do think that this series in comparison to the Philly series has been thinner margins uh, for era here. Obviously, you know, we've had a, a two nothing game and then a five, four win by the Rangers, knowing the Astros, knowing their experience, knowing how many times that they've been here. They're not even close to out of it. And I think I'd be shocked if this series doesn't go six or seven games. I I would imagine that the Astros won another game or two in the series, minimal.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I I think it would be a mistake to count the Astros out, even down 2-0. Last year in the World Series, they were down 2-1 and went home and and took the rest of the series. Um, Yeah, I mean, again, I think a big part of this was just Max Scherzer, for completely understandable reasons, was not sharp. He had not pitched in five weeks. You know, we saw even the first at out of the game, Jose Altuve hit a ball nearly 400 feet. I mean, crushed it. It just was to center field. It was a long fly out. And then we saw, you know, he hits Jordan Alvarez with with a pitch to open the second inning. You know, walks Kyle Tucker, throws a wild pitch to allow the first run to score. I mean, just things we don't normally see from Max Scherzer. And that opened the door a little bit from Martin Maldonado's, you know, single there. Um, You know, we saw a leadoff homer. Again, you know, walks, wild pitches, hit batters. These, These are not normally the things that, you know Max Scherzer does, but again, he was rusty. It, he had not pitched in five weeks, and and that showed. I, I do think that the Astros did a good job of holding that early lead. There were a few moments where Texas was kind of getting back into it. Um, you know, they were down five nothing right away. They scored two in the fifth. And the Astros responded with two more in the seventh. The Ast- the Rangers come back and, and score two more in the seventh again. Josh Young hit, hitting a pair of two-run homers there. The Astros respond and score again in the eighth. So I think the Astros did a good job responding. Oh, Christian Javier, I, I highlighted when we talked about this. I, I forget if it was in our pre- postseason preview podcast or our wildcard preview podcast. But I talked about Christian Javier was going to be a key for the Astros this postseason because you have Verlander, you have Valdez, but... Christian Javier, we talked about similar thing with Aaron Nola, was not good this year. You know How much of that was the fatigue from a deep postseason run last year? You know Only he knows the answer to that. But um, they needed the best version of Christian Javier. And, and we saw in the Twins series, his control wasn't great, but he allowed one hit and, and didn't allow a run. And at the end of the day, that's the name of the game, is keeping runs off the board. Again, last night against a really, really good Rangers lineup, Five and two thirds, three hits, two runs, one walk, three Ks. I mean, his pitch efficiency was fine. 85 pitches into the sixth. He he is pitching like the better version of Christian Javier. And that is so huge for the Astros. If they don't have that, they probably might not win this game. And their outlook certainly would be a lot worse. So I think that's one of the underrated things here is getting the – best version of Christian Javier back just makes such a difference. And and it's kind of a fulcrum point here for the Astros. What happened in game three?
3: Yeah, I think it is. Um, you know, when you have a guy like that, that can come out and miss bats with his fastball and just keep guys off balance, especially against a really good lineup like the Rangers. Um, you know, and we saw that as soon as the bullpen came in, Hector naris gave up a couple of runs. Uh, So, you know, this is, these are two very formidable lineups. And I know there's a lot built up about Jordan Alvarez, et cetera, but there's so many scary bats in that Rangers lineup between Garcia and Seeger, and now Young coming up with big hits, et cetera. Um, They're another team where like one through nine, they can really beat you.
2: Yeah. And that's one thing to consider here with the Rangers too, is, you know, Marcus Simeon hasn't really gotten going yet and they're already in good shape. I mean, if he starts heating up, I mean, that's going to make a huge difference. You know, we saw Nate Lowe, you know, come up with two hits last night. You know, if he can get going, that'll help. I also think now this is you get to the point in the series where, and when we talk about the importance of starters, having four quality guys you can throw out there. And and that's one thing the Astros and Rangers both have. Um, You look at Jose Urquidy versus Andrew Heaney going game four. Again, neither of these guys are studs, but you don't have to do a bullpen game. You're not throwing openers. You have, accomplished veteran starting pitchers who have started postseason games before and have have done well in them. When you look at this matchup, Urquidy versus Heaney, what are you going to be watching for?
3: I think once again, it's who gets out to the early lead. Um, You know, it seems like that's been a major component of all these playoffs is sort of drawing first blood. And then playing from, you know, playing from ahead, playing with a lead uh, and just in terms of how you can manage the game, et cetera. Um, so, you know, I in terms of the matchup, and I, I think it's a general more just thing within the series that we're sort of waiting for that game where they really start to trade blows, you know. And it's two runs here, two runs there, three runs here, four runs there. And, you know, it's a back and forth sort of battle. We haven't seen a game like that. Um, I think if it's going to happen, it's probably going to be in this game. Uh, you have two starters who can be, you know, above average to, to you know, good starters in the major leagues, um, definite rotation pieces, but also guys who are a little bit inconsistent and they're facing off against good lineups. Um, this could be maybe a higher scoring game than we've seen um, and kind of fall in the same vein as, as last night, you know, um, with a, the starter quality just wasn't as good as it was being Game 1 or 2 on either side of the ball, really.
2: Yeah, what, one of the big things I'm going to be watching for is, is what the Rangers can get out of Andrew Heaney because we talk about this Rangers bullpen. If you can get to their quote-unquote A bullpen, you know, Spores, Chapman, the Cleric at the end of games, you feel pretty good. Um, but the middle's a little bit shaky, and we saw that last night. Um, you know, he ended up having a, you know, Bruce Bochy brought in, you know, John Gray and Martín Pérez in relief. You know, Chris Stratton did not pitch well, and that's you know kind of who Chris Stratton is. Um, I, I think with them, you know, Andrew Heaney has been more of a, again, not an opener, but more of a let's just get three or four innings type. Of starter for them. You know, he only pitched three and two thirds against the Orioles in the division series and his start there. And the bullpen took it the rest of the way. Um, he has not completed five innings in a start since August. So all of September, all throughout the postseason, he has not completed five. And if you're going to go into this game and, and just hope to get call it three from Andrew Heaney, maybe even four. And then you say, okay, if that works, you know, we can go Spores, Chapman, LeClerc, who all didn't pitch yesterday, they'll be fully rested for seven, eight, nine. Who's going to take down the fifth and sixth inning for the Rangers? And what's that going to look like? And I think that's going to be really interesting to watch if Andrew Heaney can get off to a good start against this Astros offense, because as you mentioned, he can be very inconsistent. Um, But also, what happens in those middle innings, and is that where the Astros jump? Um, they're able to feast on, on pitching. That is not the best of the best. This is an incredibly good offense that has been in this position over and over and over again. So I think that's going to be my biggest thing I'm watching is what does Andrew Heaney give the Rangers and how do they bridge that gap between when he's done to their a relievers?
3: Yeah, I agree. You know, I think (laughs) that's a, that's a big portion
2: of it for sure. All right, Jeff. So with that, Again, in theory, this series could wrap up this weekend, although I, I think we both agree this is probably going six, maybe seven, just given the quality of these two teams. Rangers are up two games to one. They have home field, essentially. I mean, there's two more games in Texas, two more games in Houston, but with the edge they have, they, they, they're they in really good position. Mm-hmm. Who do you think wins this series and, and in how many games?
3: I think it's going to be uh, Rangers and seven. I think that's what I said before the series. I'm going to stick with it now. Um, I think the Astros probably win tonight. Rangers take uh, game five, and then uh, we'll see what happens in Houston.
2: Yeah, so certainly I going to be. Uh,
3: the end. <laughs> yeah
2: certainly going to be a really, really uh, fun, enjoyable series. Uh, again, you know, Jose Arquiti, you know, gave the Astros uh, five and two-thirds solid innings in Minnesota. and If you can give them something like that tonight, that'll be a huge advantage. And again, you know, Dusty Baker versus Bruce Bochy, two of the best managers to ever do it, two Hall of Famers. It's going to be fun to watch the chess match here tonight and as the series uh, goes down to the wire. Jeff, it's been a pleasure talking playoff baseball with you as always. Thank you for joining me today.
3: Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Kyle.
2: All right, everyone. That'll do it for another Baseball America podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Jeff Ponce, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the postseason, everybody.